religious liberties, same-sex marriage, gender confusion, questions that can seem suffocating to ministry leaders today. This week, Dr. Al Mohler is our guest discussing what faithful ministry looks like in a culture that's declining morally. It's all in episode 30 of the Church Leaders Podcast. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead better every day. And now here's your host, podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, Andrew Hess. Well, thanks for tuning in to episode 30 of the Church Leaders Podcast. We want to remind you this week about the Church Leaders Mega Prize Pack Giveaway. We're giving away a brand new iPad Air 2, six subscriptions to Sermon Central Pro, and six subscriptions to Outreach Magazine. Head on over to churchleaders.com forward slash giveaway for your chance to win. This week, we had a great conversation with Dr. Al Moeller. Al Moeller is the well-known president of the Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. We talked to him about how ministry leaders can faithfully respond to some of the tough issues that have been surfacing in our culture today. And now, here's our conversation with Dr. Al Moeller. Well, Dr. Moeller, you've been the president of Southern Seminary for over 20 years now, uh, helping prepare people as they enter into ministry. In your time as president, how have you watched ministry change? Well, that's a fascinating question. You know, uh, I've seen it change in a lot of ways. And uh, I, I guess one of the things that would come most immediately to mind is the change in the cultural landscape. Um, when I became president in 1993, uh, it was a very different cultural environment. Even uh, Bill Clinton, who had just been elected president, uh, he and I took office the same year in 93. You, you know, he was a, a representing a very different moral understanding even then, and, and even as, as Bill Clinton than what we're seeing now. I mean, he would years later sign the Defense of Marriage Act into law and other things like that. So that's a huge change. The, the second change is less consequential in terms of, uh, of the moral environment, but maybe more immediate, and, and that's the digital revolution. When I was elected to president of Southern Seminary, we didn't have a web page, and no one did. No one knew the vocabulary. And uh, the advent of the digital age has, has changed just about every aspect of ministry. And you have a new book out called We Cannot Be Silent, in which you, you really tackle some of these challenges that today's ministry leaders are facing. Uh, can you tell us what led you to write this book? Well, it was concern for some of the very things we're talking about here. The church often needs uh, some really serious thinking in order to remember how to be faithful in changing times. And uh, Augustine, for example, the, the greatest theologian of the early church, in his book, The City of God, was trying to help Christians in the, uh, in the transition from the 4th to 5th century to understand what the fall of the Roman Empire would mean and uh, offered just some essential theological guidance and, and helped Christians to understand why and what it would mean that God had called them to live at this particular moment. That's what I'm trying to help Christians think through in the middle of a vast moral revolution reshaping everything around us. And it does seem like, as we, as we look into the culture, it seems like on so many fronts, I think a lot of Christians are getting discouraged that we're losing moral ground. Is that how you would frame it, that, that we're losing ground, or is there another way that we should think about um, things that we're seeing? Well, you know, we are losing ground. There's, there's just no doubt about it. And uh, we're also watching the evaporation of cultural Christianity uh, in America. And, and, and we should count the cost. This is going to be devastating for the culture. And for many people we know, it is not devastating to the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The disappearance of cultural Christianity doesn't hurt Christianity. It will hurt the culture. But uh, in terms of the church, Jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail. And uh, we are going to find ourselves facing some new challenges. I mean, for one thing, 
th- th- there can be no more talk about a moral majority. We're clearly a moral minority. That's just something we're going to have to face. We're going to have to be more persuasive uh, with our neighbors, and uh, we're going to have to be bolder in, in terms of understanding that uh, it's going to take a lot of conviction, uh, not just to cave to this revolution that, that is demanding everything from around us. It really is a call for boldness, and it is a hard thing. I feel like a lot of our listeners uh, probably feel like they're ill-equipped to engage on some of these issues and and might be tempted to think, I'm going to let other people that may understand these issues better uh, weigh in on them. Um, how can ministry leaders that might feel like they don't know exactly what to say or how to engage on these issues, how can they, as you put it in your title, not be silent when it comes to these tough issues? Well, I think there is a responsibility to seek to understand what's going on. That's one of the reasons I wrote the book, and uh, and to understand that what's going on is not a series of isolated events, but it's all a part of what happens when a society exchanges one moral understanding for another. It's never going to be just on issue A or B. It's 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 going to eventually run through the entire culture. But at the same time, what most Christians are called to do is to live faithful lives. And, uh, and, and as the New Testament says, to be always ready to give an answer for the hope that is in us. And, uh, and so I, I don't want to exaggerate that I don't, every Christian isn't called to, a, to, to be involved in deep, uh, sophisticated cultural analysis, but they should know how to speak of why Christ is important to them and, uh, and what faithfulness to Christ requires of them and to be ready to give that answer. And of course, with, with gentleness and with humility, as the New Testament says, but also with conviction. One of the biggest things I think pastors are wrestling with today involves religious liberties. Uh, we feel these liberties slipping away, and I feel like the line can seem blurred between how we are called to live out our faith um, with what we see happening in our nation. Uh, as pastors come to you, how do you lead them to lead their own people uh, on this complicated issue? Well, I think the first thing we've got to remember is that religious liberty is the first liberty. If religious liberty is gone, then, then every other liberty follows. And, and that's something not only recognized by those who founded this nation, it's something proved by experience. I think the second thing to, to understand in terms of religious liberty is that uh, if it means religious liberty for us, it means religious liberty for all. We, we can't just contend for our own religious liberty. Uh, but for the fact that religious liberty is is a basic right of human beings made in God's image. And, and then finally, I would say there are some battles before us, uh, whether you're a cake baker or a florist or photographer, or, uh, or for that matter, just think of those pastors in Houston that had their sermons subpoenaed by the city attorney uh, when uh, they were confronting a major moral issue. Uh, one of the things that Christians need to remember is that every moral authority seeks to coerce that morality. And uh, so there's a new moral authority in charge, and they're going to use every power of coercion, economic, political, and legal, and and in our society, largely bureaucratic, uh, to try to force that kind of coercion. And we're going to have some real battles ahead. Yeah, and I think that, you know, when we talk about battles, a lot of pastors, the first thing they think is, well, you know, how do we balance compassion and truth? So we want, we, we want to engage truthfully according to our faith, but also do it in a loving, compassionate way. And so how do we do that? How do we walk that line between holding, you know, bearing witness to the truth, but also doing it in a way that is loving? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think of two immediate responses. One is that rightly understood in terms of the, of the New Testament, truth and compassion are the same thing. 
because they they have they are rooted in the very being of God. And so, if something's true, it it really is compassionately true. And if something is compassionate, it's compassion based in truth. The problem is we're not always in equal measure truthful and compassionate. The problem is us, not with the truth and not with compassion. And we've really got to guard our hearts in this. And I think the New Testament also offers something else that's so important. You know, in Ephesians 6, when Paul tells us we're not battling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. In other words, we've got to be real careful never to see a human being that's disagreeing with us or, or even... Uh, uh, fellow neighbors and, and citizens who may infringe upon our liberty, they are not the enemy. The ideas are the enemy, and, and the spirits behind those ideas, they're the enemy. And so we're the people who've got to make very certain that we understand that our neighbor is not our enemy, uh, even if uh, they sometimes think themselves to be. Another challenging piece of this is that as we engage in these tough issues, I think sometimes there emerges a difference between what is actually unloving and what appears to be unloving. Well, what is truly unloving is that which uh, has a motivation other than love. Just think of Paul in 1 Corinthians 13. If it's not rooted in love, it's not real and it won't last. But love doesn't mean never having to say you're sorry. And, and in our society, love does not mean never having to say that someone is wrong or, or even that a, uh, a moral act is wrong. We, we're the people who have to say that when it's true. And... Um, and, and, and faithfulness requires that we do that, and love does. I mean, look at Romans chapter 1. The very last verse brings the, the strongest condemnation against those who give hearty approval to things they know to be sin. Uh, that's a very ch uh, chastening word, I think, for us, a humbling word as well. And do you feel like that is one of the blind spots in our culture today? Uh, today, I feel like for a lot of people, love means treating people the way they want to be treated instead of giving them what really is best for them. And sometimes those two things are, are not the same. Uh, you gave the illustration of parents with their children. We all know when we're raising children that there are many times where loving them means giving them what they need and not what they want in that moment. Yeah, and I think we all have to admit humbly that what we would want on our own is not what we need either. And, mm -hmm. uh, and so we're not saying that as people who are morally superior but as those who, who know that our creator has actually given us a way that is infinitely superior precisely because he loves us and he made us for this plan and he gave us this plan. And I think the parenting uh, metaphor is just really important because there are moments when a parent risks being unloved in the short run to show love in the long run. And, uh, and I, think, I think we just have to do that all the time. You know, the amazing thing to me is there are parents who try to parent according to this new morality. You know, that, that love means giving people what they want. But uh, that doesn't last for long uh, because that little experiment leads to disaster in a big hurry. And as a society, we're trying to, to play out that experiment. And it's, it's not ending well. Mm -hmm. Dr. Muller, I know you spend a lot of your time with seminary students and preparing people for ministry. And as you said earlier, ministry looks different today than it did 20 years ago. What are some of the questions you hear most from those who are preparing uh, to enter into ministry today? Well, I think you've asked some of them already, but there's some real practical questions people are trying to figure out. You know, what happens when, uh, when uh, a same-sex couple shows up uh, with their children at the church nursery sit and they sit down in the, uh, in the worship service? What happens when we're invited to a same-sex wedding? Uh, what happens when... Uh, when someone we know uh, all of a sudden shows up presenting as the opposite gender? The, these aren't hypothetical questions anymore. And, 
every church, every neighborhood, every family is eventually going to face at least some of these questions. And how, how do you, um, you know, when you hear these questions, how do you begin to approach them? Especially, I, I think of, um, you know, those who might be listening that feel like, man, I, I'm not the expert on some of these things, and, and I'm receiving these questions myself. How do we come to the scriptures and find answers to questions that, that aren't blatantly there necessarily? Well, I think we have to learn the same way the church has for centuries how to to reason from scripture, because actually it's, it's all there. It's just not of uh, necessarily posed the way that we may we may want to pose it. For example, on the, on the wedding question, uh, if we really look at Matthew 19, it's a, we, we need an entire biblical theology, of course, but, but just look at Matthew 19. Jesus is asked about divorce of all things, and he launches into a complete creation-based defense of what it means for human beings to be made in God's image as male and female and uh, to be designed for marriage, which as Jesus said, from the beginning is the union of a man and a woman. And uh, so actually there is an entire biblical theology with amazingly specific texts dealing with many of these things. And uh, the other thing I want to say is that I'm not up to reasoning these things through individually and no Christian is. This is another reminder of how much we need the body of Christ. Uh, we, we need to reason together uh, upon the scriptures to know what faithfulness would require of us, because left to our own devices, uh, we're just not up to this. You have a, a wonderful website that where you grapple with a lot of these issues, and I think that has been very helpful to a lot of ministry leaders. Are there other places where you'll send leaders to who want to kind of expand their mind or, or grow and, and learn from other believers, as you've said? Well, there, there are some really good resources out there. Uh, so, uh, for instance, uh, I'm a part of a mo- movement known as Together for the Gospel, and we've had some really candid discussions of these things at our, our meetings that uh, are available online. Uh, the Gospel Coalition has as well. Uh, my friend and colleague, Russell Moore, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention has done some really, really good work on this and, and uh, lots of resources there as well. I'm glad to say there are some people really putting out some some very thoughtful, biblical, uh, gospel-centered response uh, to this big challenge around us, and we need more. Yeah, and as you look to the future, what do you think, like if you had to kind of identify a couple of the issues that um, that every pastor right now should be preparing, you know, as we we want to prepare for um, the future, um, are there there some— things that are kind of resonating on your heart that you're like, you know, these are the, the one or two things that, that we all should be paying attention to? You know, I would say that the, the questions I just talked about a moment ago are at the top of that list, but at, at the center of the greatest challenge I think we're going to face is the whole gender question, and especially the transgender revolution, because it's a deeper level of confusion and urgency uh, even than, uh, than same-sex relationships and same-sex marriage. And, and the reason for that is that it reaches a, an even more basic level, and that is at the, at the confusion of male and female. And we're going to have to learn how to show compassion for people without uh, harming them by joining in their confusion. That's going to be really tough, and uh, it, it's, it's going to take the, the keenest, most faithful biblical thinking of which we're capable I think it's hard for a lot of leaders today because it seems like anything we say on some of these tougher issues can be perceived as hate speech. Um, and I think sometimes it just feels like it's a lose-lose situation. If, if we're silent, um, we, we're wrong. If we, if we say something, it can go wrong. And so what advice might you offer uh, to those in our audience uh, to help them engage on some of these tougher issues 
in a way that is as winsome as possible. Yeah, you know, the first thing I want to say in response to that is that uh, I understand people who say, look, I don't want to pick a fight. I, I don't want to be unnecessarily controversial, so I'm not going to preach on that. The problem with that is that, number one, the Bible speaks to it, so we really have no option. But secondly, that strategy is not going to work because someone's going to show up and, uh, and, and you're going to have to make some practical decisions real fast. And if you haven't taught your church con- uh, from the scriptures concerning these things, you're going to be in big trouble when you make a decision one way or the other and, and, and when you're confronted by uh, a, a challenge. And uh, the other thing I want to say, what we really need to develop is a comprehensive biblical theology on these things. It's not enough just to show up with a Bible verse at the, at, the, at the most urgent moment. We need people who are being fed from Scripture to understand how to think biblically. And uh, so we, we need to develop an entire bill. That's one of the things I, I talk about everywhere I have the opportunity. We've got to move from creation, fall, redemption to consummation to put it all within the great story of God uh, in, in the, the meta narrative of the gospel. But that's the last point. We've got to end and we've got to begin every conversation with the gospel of Jesus Christ, because that is the great truth with which the church is entrusted. So, Dr. Moeller, as a, a lot of, I think, the things that we've talked about here today, I think a lot of pastors and ministry leaders that hear about these things, uh, it lends to discouragement. Uh, it's easy to kind of feel like, man, we're losing ground, and it's a harder environment to minister. And even pastors that have been in it for a while thinking, this is not what I signed up for. Um, could you offer kind of a word of hope um, as you kind of look to the horizon that, you know, what do you kind of rest your hope in as we look to these things? Well, I, I thank you for that question. My, my hope is in Christ. I know yours is as well. And, and, uh, and, and in a sovereign, omnipotent, loving God, the Father, who has not put us here by accident, but for a strategic purpose. And so I, I know that the, at the end of the day, we, we, uh, we have a witness, we have a work to do, but this is fundamentally Christ's work, and nothing's going to be left undone. He will, he, he will see it through to the end. And, and that's true before we get to the issues of this moral revolution. I mean, just as a pastor, one of the words I want to give to pastors is, look, you can preach faithfully for 60, 70, 80 years, and you're not going to get the job done. You cannot present people glorified. But Christ can and Christ will. So uh, it's our task to do what we've been called to do, to preach the word in season and out of season. And, uh, and, and then as the Apostle Paul made clear, uh, just as he wrote to Timothy, uh, you can die and, uh, and Christ will fulfill and complete the work. Dr. Muller, thank you so much for, for taking time to be with us today. Such great insight. And we would recommend that uh, people uh, check out your book, We Cannot Be Silent. Um, and so thanks so much for being with us. Guys, it's great to be with you. Thank you for a really worthy discussion. God bless you. Well, thanks again to Dr. Al Moeller for joining us this week as our special guest on the Church Leaders Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes and consider sending this episode to someone in your life who might be blessed by its message. Make sure to download the show notes for this episode at churchleaders.com forward slash podcast. The show notes always include resources mentioned in the show and links to some of our guests' top content on churchleaders.com. Also, don't forget to head over to churchleaders.com forward slash giveaway to enter for your chance to win an iPad Air 2 or a subscription to Sermon Central Pro or Outreach Magazine. There are lots of great prizes, so don't miss out on your chance to win. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next week. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website, churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.